Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Desert Streaming. This is Marco Casanova, your host. Uh, I'm a staff member here at Desert Stream and uh, the overseer of Living Waters here in the United States. And I'm I'm really pleased to have our guest here, the first guest of Desert Streaming for this new year of 2022, Joseph Heschmeyer. Joe Heschmeyer is an apologist for Catholic Answers. He was a former attorney in D.C. and a former seminarian for the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. He's now a husband and father and a great friend to me. So I'm really grateful to have him here. He's also authored a, a few books, a um, few being Pope Peter, A Man Named Joseph, Who Am I, Lord? And the latest one is The Early Church Was the Catholic Church. So please, please take a look at these amazing books. Joe, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Marco. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for, for being with us and and um, yeah, discussing this amazing topic of the epiphany. Um, I was Joe and I were just kind of bantering before about many things. One, including I, I'm from Texas, and uh, I I have a great affinity for Whataburger. And Joe was just dogging Whataburger. You see, in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, if right, Patrick yeah. Mahomes brought it. Oh yeah, he did. And how many do we have now? I think there's uh, two already, and then two more are coming. <laughs> I love that. It's like it's crazy how <laughs> Whataburger has traveled outside of uh, of of Texas. But I love Whataburger. Joe's like, mm. it was a it was a burger. I mean. <laughs> I've like been to Hardee's before too, also a burger. I, I wasn't blown away by it. I will say that. I, <laughs> and so what I during the meal, I was disappointed because mm. I was expecting a lot because the way Texans talk about it, you would think it was like ambrosia. Uh, <laughs> right. and, and it was just like a kind of flavorless burger. <laughs> How dare you? I know Joe. I know. And so all I did was I posted in my I should full disclosure, my wife's from California. Right. And like would get if she could get a tattoo, we'd probably get an in and out tattoo. <laughs> I've never asked her that, I'm just assuming. But like the family I mean, is, is amazing. Yeah. In and out you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh and it's all that Southern California like beach culture and all of that. They grew right. up like thirty minutes from the beach. So it's like you go and you get your in and out, you go to the beach, and it's like a whole thing. Yeah. And and like, you know, Whataburger coming to KC, a, a thing that maybe doesn't travel that well outside of the place it originated. Mm. Like, I'm not sure in and out here would knock my socks off, but in and out when you go to the beach and all that, it's like, it's fun, it's, it's a whole thing. So all I did was posted, uh, in and out is better than Whataburger. And uh, it... <laughs> It led to a pretty heated conversation yeah, in the was, comments on Facebook. Yeah. You know, doing my examination of conscience <laughs> and doing my nightly check-in. And I was like, D- how, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of people who were... Uh, I know, I was surprised. Yeah, people were unsheathing their swords. And I was like, man, this is, this is why I don't talk about politics. <laughs> I feel like you knew, though, what you were doing. Though. Oh, I totally knew what I was doing. <laughs> you took a picture of the burger and mm-hmm, everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It was it was well calculated too. You know uh, more than your prayers, Joe. You know how to do it. That's awesome. So obviously this week, um, I love this week, this Epiphany week. The, obviously here in the United States, we celebrated on Sunday. I, I guess in some places they celebrated on the sixth. Don't yeah. right? I would imagine maybe I don't know if Rome does, but certain, uh, I, certainly if other memory countries. serves, and I may be getting this one wrong, the Diocese of Rome moves it to Sunday, but the Vatican celebrates it on the 6th, which is a weird mess because it means like it depends where in the city you're going to church as to what you're celebrating. Oh my gosh. Like what piazza are you in? And it's like... Yeah, exactly. Like when when you're on Vatican property, then Epiphany hasn't happened yet. But when... I think this is... this is I know there's one time out of the year where they move one of the feasts. I think it's Epiphany. Okay. Wow. That's... that's, I mean, it is like these feasts that kind of move. It, It always... It confuses me a little bit. I, I I wait for the day where we can celebrate feasts on their actual days. Yeah, but we have twelve days of Christmas instead of <laughs> you know a random number of days. I know of Christmas. it's like yeah. January second, the Epiphany. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even like prepare for it. All that to be said, I do love this week, this sort of Epiphany week that's painted by this uh, strange and amazing story of these magi from the Orient coming and as Matthew Matthew's Gospel says, just sees the Virgin sees the mother, sees the child, and then they just prostrate themselves on the floor, and then they give them, give him these gifts, these prophetic gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there's just something amazing about this story, strange and amazing, about the whole Christmas thing, you know? 
But what I what I love most about this week is that Christmas isn't done yet. Yes. I love that. That, okay, maybe your Christmas wasn't great. I've heard many stories of, oh, I've had COVID or my family just kind of blew up or, you know, whatever the case might be. Maybe very conflictual for various, various reasonings, very, various circumstances. But yet this week is reminding us that it's not over yet. Yeah. This is one of the annual debates. So I... Another thing I said on social media was like, there's these annual debates every Catholic seems to go through, at least all the Catholics on social media. And it's, you know, oh, Christmas hasn't started yet in November. It's like, it's Advent, not right. Christmas. And then it's like, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Mary, did you know? Like, all of those, like, they go through all of those. And then it's like, December 25th gets around, we're like, this is the beginning, not the end of the Christmas season. Right. Amen, amen. And then the last fight is always like, well, what day does Christmas end? Right. And you'll have people say February second. The actually the director, the directory of popular liturgy says that's not or popular devotion, whatever it is, mm. uh, says that's not right. Interesting. That, um, February second, even though it's an infancy feast, falls outside of Christmas time, and they would date it to Epiphany. Really? But um, there's been a whole rich history of this in the East and the West in terms of how you how you treat Epiphany mm-hmm. and even like why Epiphany is such a big deal. What what's it conne- its connection to Christmas? It's actually more than just the coming of the Magi. There's two other feasts that were tied in with the Feast of the Epiphany. Right. So we kind of see those unpacking in what we're calling ordinary time. And it's important to maybe mention here uh, that on the old calendar, like pre the liturgical reform. In the West, uh, we called these the Sundays after Epiphany. Mm. And I really like that mm-hmm. name because once you understand what Epiphany is actually about, more than just the Magi coming, more than just the gifts, that the, the real gift of Epiphany is the revelation of God. Um, once you get that, then like, yeah, every Sunday after that is just a continued unpacking of that yeah. gift. And so... That, that Christmas spirit in that sense, God is with us, God is here to save, God reveals himself to us, then yeah, that continues throughout what we're calling ordinary time too. So Joe, you mentioned something about there's like a three sort of fold, three facet celebration yeah. for, for the epiphany. Can you explain that? Like what, what, what exactly of the mysteries of Christ are we unwrapping here? Are we being told yeah the and so again there's a little bit of a difference between the east and the west here uh there's a whole difference going back to the early church in terms of when and how we celebrated these things and it's a really fascinating difference um the december 25th date was bigger in the west and then the january 6th date was bigger in the east but both ended up celebrating both days and mm. and so the way that this played out is december 25th you would celebrate the birth of the lord the nativity of the lord January 6th, you would celebrate certainly the coming of the Magi, but also in the East especially, you would celebrate the baptism of the Lord Mm. and the wedding feast of Cana. And so we call it Epiphany in the West. The East calls it the Feast of Theophany. Okay. And and so both names are pointing to the same thing. Okay. That what makes this time special is so if you think about well, well, it is an Epiphany. We usually think like, well, it's a realization, or you know, and yes, in one sense. Uh, but the ancient Greek Epiphanius is, or Epiphania is, is like the manifestation of a god. It's a mm. sudden revealing of a god. So, like when uh, Antiochus Epiphanes calls himself that, he's calling himself God Manifest. Interesting. And so, and what, so theophany would be just would just be that a, a manifestation yes, of God. Exactly. It's it's just making the same point in maybe more explicit language because sure. Epiphany usually means that. And it's a scriptural way of describing. And St. Paul six different times uses this verb hmm. to describe the coming of the Lord in glory. Um, wow. And so he's he's making this claim of like, this is, you know, like when the Greeks are talking about the God showing up. Right. Here it is. Yeah. It literally has happened and it will happen in the future. And, and that's what we're talking about. That's really interesting you say that. I went to Mass the other day at the Little Sisters of the Lamb, and Cardinal Philippe Barberin yeah. of Lyon, France was there. And um, just, a, a, honestly, an amazing preacher. He was He's so gifted in the way he proclaims um, the Word of God. And he went through every gospel of this week and saying that it's a manifestation of the power of Jesus. Like today's, this morning's gospel, Wednesday, 
is the walking on the sea. Yesterday was the multiplication of the loaves. Monday was healing the, uh, you know, the epileptic and all of that. It's, so it's this Jesus of Nazareth showing his power. So it's amazing. It kind of, it really corresponds to what you're saying, like God revealing himself, his greatness. And then it all culminates with this great figure of John the Baptist saying, I can't even unloose your sandal. Yeah. You know? So like it shows in a way it's a, it's an epiphany. It's an epiphany of Jesus grandeur in, in this, even in the sight of this, this massive figure of the Baptist. You know? Amen. It's, it's a beautiful, and, and once you take that view and once you start reading scripture in that way, then you can see what I mean by like every day mm-hmm. kind of continues that epiphany. Mm-hmm. Because every, you know, if Hebrews 1 is correct, that God revealed himself in many and various ways of old by the prophets, but mm-hmm. now he's revealed himself by a son. Every time we're encountering Jesus, we're encountering the unveiling of God. Mm-hmm. But there are a few moments where that unveiling is more obvious, more pronounced. Uh, and so the three that are celebrated, as I've said, you've got the baptism in the Jordan. Why? Because the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus, mm-hmm. and the voice of God proclaims, this is my beloved son, and so the uh, troparion for the feast in the east, which is you know one of the, the prayers that you pray, says, When thou, O Lord, was baptized in the Jordan, the worship of the Trinity was made manifest. For the voice of the Father bear witness to thee, and called thee his beloved Son, and the Spirit in the form of a dove confirm the truthfulness of his word. O Christ our God, who has revealed thyself and has enlightened the world, glory to thee. Hmm. So it's very beautiful. And so you can see, like, okay, that's why that one's there. Wedding Feast of Cana is there because this inaugurates Jesus' public ministry. Yeah. Jesus reveals himself as a miracle worker, reveals himself as, you know, begins to reveal himself as who he is um, with this first sign. Uh, and then the manifestation to the nations with the Gentiles. That here, I mean, before the coming of the Magi, you've got Jesus and Mary and Joseph and their little, you know, little house in Bethlehem, mm-hmm. their little manger, little cave that they're in. You have a handful of shepherds to whom he's been revealed, but it's a small revelation. You know mm, what I mean? Like not yeah. uh, not a lot of people. There's, sure. there's an intimacy to that. Uh, <laughs> Mary needs a little time to recover. <laughs> With the coming of the Magi, you you have one of the most profound acts of divine revelation. Here's what I mean by that. Like, first of all, why are they called Magi? Well. Magi is the word where we get words like magician. Mm. Uh, and so in Acts 8, we see Simon the Magus, you know, this guy who is this attempted miracle worker, and he's sure. dabbling in these spiritual arts. Simony. Yeah. Isn't that where we get Simony Yeah, from? it is, because he tries to buy the gift of confirmation. Wow. He sees the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with the laying on of hands of the apostles on the baptized, and he says, I want that. How do I get that? And Peter's like, how dare you <laughs> try to buy the gift of God? Wow. Uh, and so, but he has this really fascinating spiritual journey. Simon does. I mean, Acts eight is really interesting for that because he believes and is baptized. He he sees his spiritual power, and realizes it's greater than his own, and then comes to it. And he might be a good window through which to understand the coming of the Magi as well. Wow! That these are people who probably were dabbling in some stuff. Interesting. You know, like the, how do they know Jesus is born? Because they're doing astronomy and astrology. I know it's always interesting when we kind of, um, you know, pay homage to the Christ with the 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 Magi leading us, and then we we throw out those words of astronomy and astrology, and everyone's like, okay, I know one of those is wrong, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's just really interesting, and and so you make a good point, like they were dabbling in something, and are you saying like this sort of dabbling put them on a search, and yeah, then this yeah, search that it this to me the thing that's striking about this is that God really comes and meets us in our mess, hmm. and with the Magi, they may not have realized they were in a mess; they were in a spiritual mess. Yeah, like they're playing around with some things, whether they know it or not, that are potentially very dangerous. And we don't know a lot, so we don't want to you know stretch that too far. Sure. But there really is that sense in which they're looking for the supernatural and they're right. looking for God and they, they're attuned to that. They're aware of that in their spiritual journey. And it doesn't look the way the spiritual journey of a Jew would look. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. something very weird, very alien, very foreign. And it, it's not just like foreign to us today. It would have been foreign to the first listeners of the gospel. Right. You know, the shepherds are poor and outcasts in one way. They wouldn't have necessarily been very faithful with temple worship and everything else because they're out there in the fields. 
the Magi are going to be even more scandalous in a real way. Because not only are they Gentiles, but they're Gentiles who, what are they doing out there in the sure. East? What are, they, what are they playing around with? Right. Do we want them coming near anything holy? And God's answer to that is, I do. Wow. I mean, it, it even begs a question of, they must have carried some sort of weight because they had an audience with Herod. I don't know. Yeah. They, they had such access to him. Yeah. Right? And so I like the word you use. of It, it probably was scandalous to see these sort of majestic magi yeah. coming in with probably oriental garbs of sorts and then prostrating themselves. I mean, the gospel says proskuneo. Like they, pro- yeah. they, they laid on the floor, you know? I mean, that... That's absurd. <laughs> there are people around are probably thinking, what is going on? Yeah. And well, so let's take that now through a Jewish lens as well, because mm-hmm. there is this whole prophetic buildup to the gifts. And uh, now, of course, the people who are shocked when they see these magi arriving in Herod's court, they're not going to have this dimension yet. Sure. Even, you know, if they were to see them fall down in adoration before the Christ child in the manger or in the arms of his mother... They may not have all of these pieces, but the pieces are there. Uh, so, and we actually get them, thanks be to God, on the feast day of Epiphany in the mm. reading. So, in, in Psalm seventy-two, it talks about the kings of Tarshish and the Isles shall offer gifts. The kings of Arabia and Seba shall bring tribute. Uh, so, there's the idea of of the coming, and, and even the bringing of gold is specifically mentioned. The gold of Sheba. They're going to have these foreign leaders. That doesn't literally have to mean, you know, a king over, but it's some kind of, yeah, like you said, a dignitary, somebody important, somebody hmm. high-ranking, somebody who's somebody. Is, they're going to come and they're going to bring gifts to the king. And again, it's, it's hard to capture what a weird message that is mm-hmm. at a time when many of these people would have been viewed as the mortal enemies of Israel, that, hey, they're going to come and offer worship to the king. And they're going to or offer honor to the king, I should say, because mm-hmm. there we just have the gold, you know, the gift you give to Caesar, the gift you give to a king. Right. But then Isaiah 60 builds on that and talks about how caravans of camels shall fill you, dromedaries from Midian and Ephah, all from Sheba shall mm-hmm. come bearing gold and frankincense and proclaiming the praises of the Lord. And frankincense is what you would put it's with the incense you would put in an offering to God. Hmm. So now you have the offering to a king and the offering to God. Those are the two gifts that are foretold in the Old Testament. But wait, there's <laughs> myrrh. <laughs> I love that meme. <laughs> I know, I love it's doing that. It's <laughs> Same. Uh, and, and that, I mean, but the myrrh is a real shock. Hmm. I mean, you have... God King kind of imagery, which is already pretty shocking when the messianic context. And then you have these foreign kings who've maybe been dabbling in some spiritual arts coming in, yeah, prostrating themselves and offering this gift for a god to this child. But then they also give him frankincense, this embalming spice. Yeah. And so there's this like, I don't know, horrible twist ending, you know, <laughs> sure. where it's like, what, what was that? Like, yeah. what was that part all about? And uh, and it comes with like a one-two punch because they're giving this child kind of a recognition of the fact that he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And then almost immediately after, St. Joseph has this dream where he finds out that Herod is coming to kill the baby. Wow. And that he's got to get up and flee. That would be a lot of news to take in back to back. Sure. Think. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing what the what the Magi provoked, you know, in Herod, yes. in yes. the Holy Family. Um, their fanfare into the into Bethlehem was was not it, it wasn't quiet. Yeah, you know, um, and yeah, when I think of the Magi, um, I'm really drawn to them. Just personally, I, I feel like they teach us. They teach me how to adore Jesus. Just physically, I think I, I can just start there. Like how to how to worship Jesus on a physical level. But also just, you know, all those beautiful little nuances in the scripture. You know, they traveled from so far. Then they changed their way after. Yes. You know, they didn't go back the same. All of those little, they just teach us. It's like a pedagogy of sorts of how to, how far maybe we have to come to find Jesus face to face. What do we do when we actually encounter him? Like how, how can we prostrate surrender our lives in totality before him and then what do we have to do afterwards you know yes 
it, it and and even you kind of alluded to this, the backlash mm-hmm. that it isn't just all smooth sailing. Like when you're actually on this journey, it's not just gonna be like, oh great, well everything is is really mm-hmm. nice now. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, an everlasting man, has this really uh, chilling description where he talks about how even the devil had a Christmas feast. Whoa! With the massacre of the innocents. Wow. That like the response is this spiritual backlash. Like if you're going to actually make this journey, not everyone is going to be happy about that, including wow. your former slave master. And he's going to push back. Wow. And he, he's going to push back in some ways that may hurt. And, and you just need to know that going into it. Like there's a cost. Joe, that's a really good point. Like, I mean, especially for me, I oversee living waters in the United States, really committed to making every church a, a place of healing for people. And yeah. Joe just went through our living waters group here at Lady of Good Council. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I mean, th- this is just my heart that people would come and encounter this Jesus in a profound way within the context of boundaried confidential community and they can just speak out and work out difficult areas in their lives one to another body membership you know and so when you speak of the magi and and what it provoked in the spirit in the realm of the world it really does go to show that this christmas thing it it really is inviting us on a journey that is going to be quite challenging it's going to provoke something maybe in our own families yeah Maybe, uh, of course, in the spirit with the enemy uh, of our of our souls who wants to destroy us, that the Magi are, sa- are, are basically giving us a, a, a bold ask of do it. Go. Go in haste to the Savior. Don't anticipate all of the, the horrible things that will happen. They will happen in their own way, and but yet the sovereign God will protect you. And so it's kind of what I hear as we talk about the Magi, that in this world where many people are, are wanting Jesus, but it's kind of difficult to follow him in various circumstances, the Magi are saying, do it. Yeah, they really show, like, spare no expense. Yeah. Go. They, they upend everything. It's not convenient. It's not like they just had, like, scheduled vacation. <laughs> right. You know? Like, they're, they're bringing expensive gifts, and they're leaving on a journey they don't know how long it'll take. Hmm. And they're really adopting the posture of pilgrims and wayfarers. When yeah. they, they seem like they were comfortable. They're leaving their zone of comfort. They're leaving the world in which they were somebody to become nobody. I mean, what are their names? Well, we, we have some names we give them traditionally. We don't know sure. for sure. Yeah. They become nobodies. Mm. They, they lose all of the comfortable trappings so they can come and worship a baby, perhaps in a barn, perhaps in a small house, and then go home by a different way. That's a pretty crazy road trip, you know? That's a pretty crazy journey. And if we're not willing to do that, you know, Jesus gives the example, like if you're going to build a tower, count the cost. Mm. So you don't build half a tower because then you're a laughingstock. Right. The one way we're really explicitly and repeatedly told to not do Christianity is halfway. Yeah. There's no point in it. Right. It's like if you're going to go on a journey, fill up the tank of gas. You don't fill it up halfway, get halfway there, and then run out of gas. Why? Now you're worse off than you were before. Right. Either do what it takes to get there or don't bother. Now, that some people are going to hear that as, I think, a good encouragement. Some people are going to hear that as really discouraging. Like when Jesus says that sure. stuff, it's like, oh, I, I fall all the time. Like <laughs> I can't go 20 feet and you want me to go on this long journey. And it's like, okay, that's fine. It's fine to like try and fail. What he's warning against is kind of being complacent mm-hmm. with being less than what you're made to be. Wow. And the Magi show us what it's like not to be complacent. Yeah, they also show us that when you do make the journey, you, you, you'll get what you came for. Yes. You know? It's not like, I think J.K. Chesterton says something like, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's been found wanting and left untried. It's been found difficult and left untried. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and so... Yeah, it isn't like God doesn't fulfill his promises. It's like, oh, well, it turns out this is going to cost me more than I thought it was going to cost me. Right. And so I don't actually want it after all. Right. And the Magi could easily have said that. Their, their journey, they maybe thought, well, Jerusalem, there we go. Let's just go here. This is the capital. This is really comfortable. We know what palaces are like. Yeah. And then it's like, no, no, actually, here's this little town you're going to have to go to instead. And it's not at all like what you were probably envisioning. 
And the Magi have to deal with that as well. Like, they have to have enough faith that everything that's led them to that moment, the star rising in the east and all the, you know, that that's enough to get them through all of the ways that their expectations are shattered. Like, whatever they were expecting a newborn Hmm. king to look like, whatever they thought the trappings of that would look like, we can pretty well bet this was not what they were expecting. Right. Wow. Yeah, and I think the first reading for the Feast of the Epiphany was sort of this this prophetic, you know, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, you know. And um, so this sort of manifestation to the Gentiles, this brilliance upon the Gentiles is Christ, who on Monday starts healing some people from other regions, you know. It's yeah. just like this amazing cosmic effect. And um, just to make it more like kind of down to earth, like mm-hmm. down more personal for us today, especially to our listeners who may be thinking, you know, I, I kind of missed, I'm, I missed the stable this, yeah. this Christmas. You know, I, I didn't really get to hear the Gloria in the, in the mountain Valley and then run to the stable with the shepherds, okay. you know, like I got in a fight with my family or I, I was sick or I was alone. I was isolated right. and, you know, I, I've, I've been hearing a lot of that this yeah. Christmas. It's kind of remarkable to me. Like it, it it strikes me this time around that, wow, many people, this isn't like a great feast. Right. You know, right. this is like, it's conflictual. It's it's even sad and disappointing at times. Yes. What do you think the Magi teach us here? Yeah, I was actually, what strikes me is that the Magi inaugurate something, hmm. which is the Massacre of the Innocents. I mean, they don't try to, of course. Sure. <laughs> but that's, that's the demonic response. Hmm. And that, in turn, leads to another action, which is a flight into Egypt. And I think that is something I've pondered a lot more in the last two years with COVID. Um, the flight into Egypt. Yeah, because when you flight into Egypt, they give up home and security and all of the normal social connections they have. They give up their local synagogue. They give up access to the temple for indefinitely. Right? Mm. Like, we don't know how long this journey into Egypt takes. We don't know how long it lasts. But it's certainly the unknown. All of their plans are suddenly canceled, yeah. and they're probably pretty isolated. Like we don't have any reason to think they had a big social network in Egypt. <laughs> sure. Like there are certainly Jews who live in places like Alexandria. But imagine St. Joseph for a second. You know, he's got a clientele probably locally. Wow. And he's gonna scrap all of that, and and maybe be seen as a flake. Yeah. Like if you go to a carpenter, and then one day the carpenter is just gone. <laughs> That doesn't inspire a lot of confidence if he comes back. Like, oh, right. are you just going to leave again if I leave my chair with you? <laughs> uh, and But he goes in the middle of the night, and he leaves everything behind, even his reputation. Wow. And, you know, we know from Luke 2 that they would go down to the temple every year for the Passover. You're not doing that while Herod's on your tail. So when we celebrated Easter, you know, that 2019, no, 2020, uh, where it was like Easter at home. <laughs> Remember that? It was super depressing. Yeah. And I think a lot of people experienced that. And maybe some people, their Christmas was some version of that still. Jesus and his family know what that's like. They've experienced that, man. Like mm-hmm. they, they lived through that. Uh, and that terrible pain of being, you know, cut off from what you want to do, or it's something so obviously good, right? like going and worshiping. Or or maybe you're able to physically be there, but you're just not mentally there because of all the other stuff going on. God knows all of that stuff. Wow. Like all of the anxieties and worries and everything else that would happen. You know, you have to imagine when Mary and Joseph are looking for Jesus in the temple at the end of Luke 2, they're not just saying, oh, isn't it amazing that we're in the temple? Hmm. They're there, but something sure. else is on their mind, which right. is, let's find this child. Right, we lost him. And so they even know what it's like to be distracted at church. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. And God can come to them even in the midst of that, and he does. And and so that's what I see. I think with the finding in the temple, with the flight into Egypt, with the Magi, what we're seeing all over the place is the curious ways in which God comes to us. And it's often not when we're calm and collected and everything's going well. Yeah. Uh, we want him to come to us in those circumstances, just like we want to encounter him in, in a you know glorious palace right. in his infancy. But he's like, no, 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 meet me in the barn instead. <laughs> That's amazing, Joe. I, I feel like we miss those important, um, challenging aspects of the Christmas story. You know, I was even thinking of 
you know, Joseph goes to Bethlehem and he's of the house of David, he goes to the city yeah. of David, and then there's no room. It's just rather eerie, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. why is there no room? What, does he not have family there? Like, what, is so, are people just not welcoming him? Like, what's, what's going on? Right. You know, and then it reminds me of the prologue of St. John where it says his own received him not. Yes. You know, this Christ is homeless. Yeah. And as I'm listening to you, it's like, well, maybe just invite the Lord into those spaces, you know, well, well, open your door, so to speak, the door of your heart into that isolation, into that family conflict today. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I'm really moved by a particular statue. Um, There's copies of it all over the place, but Mm. it's the homeless Christ, you know, I don't know if you've seen this. It just looks like a homeless guy sleeping on a bench. Hmm. But when you look closely, he's got the oh, yes. wounds in his hands. Wow. And that's your only indication that it's Jesus. And there's something really beautiful and profound about that. Like, and that Christ literally was homeless. Hmm. Like, he literally, like, as a child, he grew up experiencing homelessness. That's something we don't always chew on. Pope yeah. Pius XII talks about how the Holy Family is a model of immigrants and refugees. Because they were, you know, they fled to a different country where they didn't know the culture, didn't speak the language. Everything was new and different. That Whatever your version of that is, of here's my mess this Christmas, maybe it's a spiritual mess, maybe it's a familial mess, maybe it's whatever the circumstances may be. Yeah, God knows the mess. Hmm. You know, he's, he's encountering people in that messiness all the time. I love the fact... We don't even get this directly, but we know it must be true. There are people who encountered the Holy Family in Egypt, like people wow. living in Egypt who, sure. <laughs> yeah, God came no to them. Of the, like of this, their... this crazy, yeah. horrible situation led to them discovering God. Wow, wow. And Scripture glosses over it, but it had to have been the case because sure. here they are in Egypt, and they're obviously interacting with people. Pope Francis talks about this a little bit with like what he calls creative courage. Hmm. That in the face of this apparent silence of God, God's still working through Joseph's prudence and his like, you know, when he tells Joseph, the angel tells Joseph in the dream, get up and go. He doesn't say, here's a map. Here's sure. where to stop. Here's how long wow. to go before you sleep. Hence creative courage. Exactly. There's, I, I talk about this in my book, A Man Named Joseph. So people who've read that may be like, I've heard this before. But <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't, buy the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a subtle <laughs> a subtle plug. Good. Uh, there's, there's an America Christmas meditation. America Magazine had a Christmas meditation a couple of years ago, uh, or maybe a year ago, where the author said, wouldn't it be great if an angel just told us what to do? <laughs> and reflecting on St. Joseph. And the remarkable thing is that the angel doesn't tell him very much. The angel gives him like, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other questions. St. John Chrysostom has a great homily where he mm. just points out all the questions Joseph doesn't ask, <laughs> which would be really good. One. You know, like I'm thinking like, okay, well, there's two major roads to get to Egypt. <laughs> right. Which one do you want me to go? Right. There's a shorter one, more likely to be guarded. Sure. There's a longer one, more likely to have bandits. Mm. If I go an even further, like more circuitous route, I could die of sun exposure in the desert. Right. What's the best way to go here? It's middle of the night. You wake up and you've got to plan a road trip. <laughs> and not just that. Do I take everything with me? Right. What do I take? Yeah. How long are we going to be gone for? Should I let? Should I leave a note? <laughs> should I tell anyone like, hey, <laughs> we're leaving. Here's where we're going. Or is that dangerous? Mm. Uh and then how long are we there? When do I come back? Do I do I rent? Do I try to stay with friends or relatives or just find someone who will take us in for a little while? Yeah. Or do I need to like set up something more permanent? Should I rebuild the business? Like all of those questions, all yeah. of that uncertainty. That's why I've I've thought, you know, in these unprecedented times mm-hmm. <laughs> that this is such a good model that like all of the plans Joseph probably had for like his new family are just torched. Wow. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, now you're going to go do this. And you don't really know what you're going to do. Wow. All you know is that Jesus and Mary are going to be with you. And that's enough. And he's like, okay, cool. On my way. Yeah, he's just given insight, not much foresight. No, you know, exactly. It's just like, exactly. just get up and go. It's and like, he just man, does I just have to trust. And so often, you know, we, we have this situation of like perpetual discernment. You'll sometimes hmm. find Catholics fall into where it's like, well, I don't know exactly. <laughs> Let me do one more novena. Let me do one more. <laughs> and Joseph is just like, go. I'm on my way. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I'm on my way. 
discern on the way. Yeah, he really shows us discernment in motion. You yeah. know, like he he shows us we don't have to just sit on our hands and wait for life to happen. Yeah. That God can encounter us in the midst of life. And that may mean our plans get torched. And that's okay. I'm really struck by the fact, not only does Joseph like get up and go when he has to flee into Egypt, which makes sense. It's a mm-hmm. life or death situation. Sure. He gets up and goes on the way back from Egypt when there's no urgency at all. Hmm. He still shows the same. Like he arises and goes when the angel's like all clear. He's just like, all right, see you, Egypt. And then is immediately back on the road. Wow. That that kind of really prompt response, you know, that whole idea that obedience delayed or obedience deferred hmm. is disobedience. Hmm. That like he's not like okay, let me get my house in order and then we'll figure out what God's asking me to do. He's like, okay, God said go this way, I'm gonna go this way. That's an incredible reliance on God. That that's pretty amazing. I mean, if you think about like underlying most sin is really radical mistrust in the Lord, and it's like Joseph is teaching us like just trust Him exactly. And all of that is coming because of this thing that the Magi kind of kick into motion. Hmm. But the Magi themselves. If we get that, you know, like here they come on this crazy journey and then they go back by a different way, God tortures their plans too. Wow. He's only too happy to do that. Wow, St. Joseph is a is a model for, especially I think, our generation, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think what you're talking about, these, these people who kind of sit on discernment endlessly. Mm-hmm. A lot, I feel like a lot of people our age are like that in, in a yes. way, you know? <laughs> Uh, in the circles in which we run, in the like, circles of act? like serious Catholics, you know, <laughs> like there, the two extremes you can go to are like, I just do what I want. I don't pray about it, blah, blah, you know, and a lot of the world falls into that. Sure. sure. But in the in terms of people listening to the podcast, I, I mean, I'm sure some of you guys are out there. Hey, what's up? Uh, <laughs> but a lot of, a lot of us go to the opposite extreme of like praying in a stationary way. Mm. You know, when the Israelites come to the Red Sea. Moses tells him, oh, we, you've only got to be still and, and call to God. And then God's like, move forward. Hmm. And some of us need to be told to like calm down and pray. And some of us need to be told in prayer, keep walking. Like, Amen. Keep walking across the Red Sea. I get it doesn't make sense. <laughs> keep walking. Yeah, and I feel like just from my own experience that when you do sense that from the Lord and you do move, he does, he does provide. Oh, Totally. Hundred and ten percent, he provides. Uh, a less spiritual example is GPS, right? <laughs> like when you've got maps on your phone, and you're like, "Okay, I got the direction, but I'm like a little disoriented. I don't know where I am." Mm. And that dot's just like, just a blue dot, and you're like, "I don't know which way I'm supposed to turn here." Right. The only way to do it is just to get going. Yeah. And then if you're going in the wrong way, which there's a pretty good chance you are, because you just randomly choose a way, it'll correct, and now <laughs> you're on the right track. And so often we sit there because we're afraid of making a wrong turn. Right. And it's in the wrong turns that God is going to meet us and redirect us. Wow. Which is what he does to the major. They're practicing astronomy, apparently. <laughs> They're, you know, searching for stars, looking for gods. And God's like, cool, I'll meet you there. <laughs> you know, like, that's, that's how our God works. And so often I think our fear of making mistakes, which is... Something we should really be cautious of because it's often a, a symptom of pride. Like we are too proud to make a mistake, not for mm. fear of offending God, but because we think it's beneath our dignity as like proud creatures. Wow. Uh, so often we're so afraid of like making the wrong move that we make no move at all. And there's an entire parable of the talents about that, about how like, don't do that. Like the this, one thing yeah. you're pretty well assured God's not calling you to do is bury your talent and do nothing with it. Yeah. That's funny you say that, Joe. Last night I was talking with a few people and I got home and I was kind of making my examination of conscience and I was like, Lord, I, I'm i really proud. <laughs> I just felt like as I was kind of taking an inventory of the day, like I was really navel gazing mm. a lot of the day, you know? And there is a virtue in a way of kind of just... Being able to experience that so I could see it clearly and say, Jesus, help me to like crucify that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my my favorite, I was thinking about this yesterday, I think. Uh, Saint, my favorite St. Jose Maria quote mm. is where he just says, you proud? Why? <laughs> and it gets me Ouch. every time. Cause every time I build up it's this so little like, throne to myself and every time I build up this little kingdom of how great I am, it's just like, wait a second. Really? Like, <laughs> 
And I love so a lot of Jose Maria's like most scathing lines are actually from his own diaries to himself, which is important because if he said that to like someone who is really struggling, it would just be like heartbreaking. You proud? Why? Yeah, you proud? It's just like man, those three words. Yeah, with the right amount of just like self mockery, can be a really good I find antidote to pride to just like a reality check. Amen. You know, if humility is living in the truth about who you are in relation to your creator, right? Yeah, it's like a very proud ant that they have this ant hill, and you're just like, it's a pile of dirt, my friend. Like, <laughs> I like that, Joe. So, Joe, as we end, I just want to talk, ask you um, how your experience was of living waters. Oh yeah, like Man, give transformative. Me, give me some. Yeah, let me know how it was for you. So, my reason for getting into living waters in part was. Um, I was at the banquet, so you, you can have like a plus oh, yeah. one mm-hmm. for, for people who went the year before, and so uh, I was brought as a plus one, <laughs> and uh, people give their testimonies about their own experience, and someone gave a testimony about how he hadn't cried in years, hmm. and and then like this helped him become more emotionally integrated, and that was just like directly, directly targeted at me, that I can so often kind of live in my head. So I wasn't dealing with like some serious sexual sin. I wasn't dealing sure. with like some, you know, really disordered attachment in that sense or, or but it was just this sense of like lacking in some wholeness in wanting to be the person God made me and created me to be. Wow. Like living and worshiping God in the body in a deeper way. Um that really spoke to me. And and I feel like it was one of those like wake up calls like, "Oh yeah, I need work here." And can't just write that off as like irrelevant. Yeah. And while I was on the the journey of Living Waters, um, there was a great homily that uh, Father Andrew Mattingly preached, hmm. where he talked about what it is to worship God with your heart, mind, and soul, and that the notion of like worshiping God with your heart, not just with your mind. Interesting. Wow. You know, like yeah. if you're not going to like the extremes of like no emotions, at right, all, right, but then right. being like. All emotive, you know, right. and not into exactly. you know, rational, yeah. But a truly integrative kind of worship of God, truly right. integrated discipleship, means the whole person, body and soul, is connected. And so yeah. if you're not in touch with yourself, if you're not in touch with your own emotions, you can't give that to God because you can't even give it to yourself. Wow. You know, like you don't yeah. even have it to give. And so that was a good wake-up call uh, for <laughs> me. Wow. And so that, I think, was the first steps in a journey. I mean, it's like, I'm married to a therapist, so she's, <laughs> she's nudged me in this direction more than a few times. Of like, maybe being a little more in touch with my emotions, maybe, like, knowing what's going on. Um, you know, like, it was to the point where she'd be like, are you feeling hot or cold? And I'd be like, I don't know. And, like, I was that kind of out of touch, where it was, like, not just not aware. Hmm. And so... Growing in that kind of awareness, not in a narcissistic way, but really in a way to like, you know, Anna would say, my wife, like the emotions still happen. Sure. The question is just whether you're even like aware of them so you can be in control of them. Right. Because otherwise you're just like, man, I'm feeling really overwhelmed for no reason. It's like, no, no, there's reasons. You just are totally out of touch with what those reasons are. Sure. And it probably opened doors to intimacy with your wife, just in the sense of like, I'm going to reveal myself to you. Yeah, like I totally. actually have language now to, to actually describe what's going on in my inner courts. Yeah. You know? She's always a little like amused, I think on this journey, <laughs> like she's very patient and very gentle with it because I have in a lot of ways, like this very underdeveloped, like ability to even explain, like I've got, uh, you know, the eight Crayola markers or eight Crayola crayons <laughs> for describing emotions where like she can describe like a really, uh, you know, subtle nuance thing. Sure. I'm like, uh, happy? <laughs> and, and so, like, she's just been so patient with me on that journey. And, and Living Waters was really helpful for, oh. for kind of putting that in the right theological frame, in the yeah. right anthropological frame, mm. and really kind of validating that journey. And then giving me some guys to walk with that sure. make it really a lot easier to open up. And, yeah. uh, like, when you're praying with people and people are praying over you and they're kind of, like, speaking that word of wisdom... It's transformative, and it, it's got to go. It isn't just like, here's some theological truth that we both agree on. It's yeah. like, no, no, here's what God may be saying to you in this moment, and here's this really beautiful image, or here's, you know, and yeah, it's a different 
different experience. And I, I don't want people to think I was like totally Spock before. Sure. But like, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. I, I think hopefully a lot of probably especially male uh, listeners are like, oh, yeah, maybe I'm not totally uh, connected with my emotions. Or mm. totally. It, it, you know, I, I grew up thinking emotions were just like not valid. Yeah, sure, sure. Like, it doesn't matter what you feel. It matters yeah. what you think. Right. And that's the distortion. Yeah. Both matter. For sure. Uh, and, and God wants to meet us in both. Yeah. No, I, I really like that, Joe. I mean, it, it really gives um, a lot of space for John Paul II's personalist you know, philosophy, the understanding of just the, the, the whole person, the totality of personhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, we're a body-soul composite, you know, the great Thomistic Aristotelian understanding of the human person, but also like we are these dynamic emotions and we come with a lot and it, it takes the Lord and his church and good community to really allow the work of integration in all of it. Yeah, amen. To come together in a unified person, you know, right, not right. to be split off from my emotions or not to run away from conflicting ones, but to say, okay, all right, this is part of me. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot more I want to say, but I want to also respect, like, confidentiality of everybody sure. kind of involved yeah. in it. So if I'm speaking in maybe more generalities, yeah, it's not because I couldn't go. It's not because I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I... I imagine people are going to be like, you're still speaking at a very 20,000 foot level. <laughs> yes, I am. Because I don't want to tell everybody else's story. It's not yeah. mine to tell. Um, but in my story, it ended up being so wrapped up in so many other guys in yeah. terms of, of that walk, that journey. One thing that I've, I've been struck by is in John 11, the death of Lazarus, when Mary and Martha, they're mourning the death of their brother. Hmm. But they're mourning him in such different ways. Hmm. And Jesus knows this and sees through this. So both of them say verbatim the same thing to Jesus. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But Martha is presenting it as a theological problem. Like, okay, what do we make of this in light of everything you've said about the resurrection? And so there's a beautiful back and forth between her and Jesus on the theology of the resurrection. Mary is not asking it in the same way. She's asking it at Jesus' feet weeping. Wow. And so Jesus doesn't give her a theological answer in that sense. He enters into her grief and he cries with her. And it's, it's really remarkable that he shows, like, both of these ways are good and valid, <laughs> and God will meet you in both of them. And so often it's easy to prioritize Martha over Mary. Yeah. Yeah. And to say the theology is really good and important, but the emotions and the yearnings of the heart and all of that are just like something as an aside. Yeah. Or they're just things that can kind of get in the way. And it's like, that's not human. That's not Christian. Yeah. There's, there's something much richer and much deeper. Like God wants to meet you both. It's okay if you're primarily cognitive. It's okay if you're not like a super emotional person. God's going to, but just don't like create that false dualism of like, right. I, you know, cutting yourself off from one or the other is... It's not where it's at. You know, you think about John 4 with the Samaritan woman. <laughs> sure. He starts with the thirst, and then he gets into the, the moral problem of like, right. and you got this issue with your husbands. <laughs> right. He doesn't start with that. Yeah. He starts with, you, you're longing for something. Yeah. Joe, I, I'm, I'm really amazed by you. Just want to bless you in that. Like, I, um, you're, very, you're very intelligent. You're very articulate, which I think is a gift to the church, which I'm really grateful for. And then one thing I experienced... Um, with you in Living Waters is just your, you have a great compassion for people and you have a great ability to be present to people Mm. when they're suffering, when they're going through a difficult time. And then you have this prophetic ear to listen to the father's heart and to just speak words of blessing over your brothers. I saw it time and time again, every week, like clockwork. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm not in the mood. It's like, well, no, a a brother is suffering. We're going to pray and I'm going to ask the Lord to use me as a conduit of his mercy to bless him. And the Lord would do that every time. And you would speak it out. You would take the risk and say, here's, here's what I'm hearing from the Lord for you. And it, it's so beautiful to see because at one end we can talk about this amazing, our amazing Catholic church and her wonderful rich traditions and then on, on the other, other end, um, you're present to another and in a way that's really, really present 
Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, really, Joe, it's the truth, man. I'm like struck by it. So thank, oh, thank you, you, Jesus. No, it, means, it means a lot. And I, I've received from other guys who have similar gifts in that way, like yeah. guys that I would describe in, in, in a similar way. And uh, one person in particular prayed over me and had a very specific image mm. of kind of an oak tree being called to like support the other trees. Mm. And <laughs> that notion is such an empowering kind of call to be like, oh, yeah. You know, even if you're not mired in the the depths of sin right now, you're called to be a brother to these guys, and you're wow. called to like stay strong, not just for your own sake, but to be shelter for others, so they can grow up strong as well. And I think as a father, and as like a yeah. brother and companion, like that was really inspiring and challenging, and and really like in terms of graces, I can really point to in a very concrete way of like that meant something big and that hasn't left me Hmm. like that image isn't something i've just like forgotten if our listeners are interested in in a living waters opportunity we do have one coming up with christopher west and the theology of the body institute um so please do reach out to us at desertstream.org and we can get you connected and Joe, before you leave, I just want to give you opportunity. Where can we find these books? Where oh, yeah. can we where, where can we get uh, so connected with you? If you want to not use one of the big box, you know, retailers, <laughs> I would say shop.catholic.com. Okay. We have our online store. Uh, they often are running deals. Um, your local Catholic bookstore is a great place to support. The books are also available through places like Amazon and you know all the predictable <laughs> kind of retail outlets as well. Um, I would just say, please, uh, please read. And if you enjoy it, reviews, like especially mm. like Amazon reviews, really do make a difference. They're f- a free way of kind of giving back. If you can just like rate the view, rate the book and review it, that helps people to see it. The algorithm is mysterious to mm. me, but it really is a, a good, like, I really would encourage people if they can take the, the few moments just to say, yeah, this was helpful to me or, or whatever. Um, that helps other people know if it's a good book for them too. And I really want to encourage our listeners, really look up Joe Heschmeyer on YouTube, just different podcasts that he's done with Catholic Answers, with Matt Fred, just really, really instructional, really enlightening and encouraging. So, Joe, you're such a gift, man. Um, thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast today. And I hope to have you on again soon. Hey, man, this was a real joy to be here, Marco. This is, uh, I think, the first podcast I've done of 2021. Well, 2022. Oh, 2022, whatever year this is. <laughs> what year is this? <laughs> no, thanks so much, Joe. I appreciate you making the time. And until next time, um, this is Desert Streaming. Please do share this podcast with your friends, with your family. And if you have need of any sort of connection into Living Waters, into the Living Waters world, don't hesitate to reach out to us at Desert Stream. God bless you guys.